Welcome to The Author's Tale, presented by me, Stephanie Frewen. This is part four of the award-winning poet and novelist James Norcliffe's tale. James is a prolific writer who can generate half a million words in 12 months, and he's a genius with his words. He plays with them, and then he plays with his subject matter, and ultimately, he plays with us, the reader. If you are a poet or enjoy poetry, I recommend you listen to our previous episodes where he talks about his process of generating a poem and how he gets to that end point. Coming up in this episode, we talk more about his novels. We started with his young adult fantasy novel, The Assassin of Gleam, in our last episode. In this episode, we start by talking about the award-winning novel, The Loblolly Boy, and the difficulties with having multi-publisher arrangements. And for those of you who are just tuning in, I'd like to let you know that all of my conversations are recorded in the author's own home during the COVID-19 pandemic under social distancing conditions. Hence, you may hear other people moving around or alarms going off or phones ringing and we have less than perfect sound quality. Um, So, uh, Lob Lolly, boy... Mm. What a fabulous book that is. Yeah. Um, don't have it here, yet again, no. e, e-book. Um, but, and that was done as an audio book. They also did that in Radio New Zealand audio book. And in Australia, there's a... There's a but incredibly hard to find, to get a copy uh, of. Yeah, this, this is... Which a, surprises that, me. Is, yeah. mm. Ah. That was, that, that's the Radio New Zealand was an edited version that Dick mm. Weir did. Um, but that was done in Australia because yep. you know, there's a <laughs> publishing publishing fiasco involved, um, and that's the full book and six CDs. Wow, um, which is great. Yeah, the Love Lottie Boy was just I just it's one of my favourites. It's just a lovely, lovely concept, and uh, and really the Love Lottie Boy and the and the, and the Love Lottie Boy and the Sorcerer the the, the two are uh, one book. Yeah. Um, they're not really. It's not really a sequel. It carries on the story and brings it full circle. Yes. Uh, where did it come from? Where did that whole? Do you know where it? Did, I don't can know. You remember I think, the moment I think I was puddling around with the idea that when I was a kid, the two things I wished above all other things were to be able to fly. Yeah. Probably living up on the hill and oh, yeah. the hills covered in Coxford, and we used to go sledging down the <laughs> steep slopes, and uh, and that was wonderful. But the idea of just jumping up and putting out your arms and like a like a seagull and just hovering on the updrafts I thought that'd be wonderful and the other thing I thought would be wonderful would be be, be invisible yeah. um, and I think the what each represents is uh, flying is freedom of course yes. freedom because I remember having the same yearnings and wanting when I was getting to be 15, 16, and wanting my driver's license. I thought, that's going to change the world for me forever. <laughs> um, uh, invisibility, I think, is possibly more to do with safety and security. And, mm. and just being able to perhaps be hi- es- hide es- away. Hide away, yeah. But also at the same time observe. That too. And perhaps, and, and it's also subversive because you can do things you couldn't do. You can, yeah. It's a conscience-free part of mm. <laughs> Yeah. So combining the two with um, with the Loblolly Boy was quite a nice idea, and the idea of um, that pervades the whole thing is be careful what you wish for, um, yeah. and uh, you know grasses. We've got all these proverbs. Yes. Grass is not always greener on the other side of the fence, and all that sort of yeah. thing. Out of the frying pan into the fire. So mm. all these old truisms. Um, 
come through here and it, it, it worked really quite well. Yeah, it worked extremely well. Of course, mm. it won many awards as well. It has, yes. It, um, it did well internationally. It's the only one that did well really internationally. Mm. Now, that came about because after Quentin... Quentin was going to publish that, and of course, it was in the pipeline. And then um, Barbara Larson at Longacre Press, uh, I sent it off to her, and she loved it, and she said, we'll do this. And I'd sent, I sent off the second one of the... She didn't like the other one so much. It wasn't her bag. Mm. Um, but she did like the Loblolly Boy and, and uh, decided to do it. And she took it off and she put it on uh, uh, the rights. And uh, she sold um, Australian and international rights to Alan and Unwin in Australia. Mm. And there's an Alan and Unwin, different cover altogether, yeah. version of it. Um, terrible cover. Oh, God. But never mind. Um, but then they, they sold it off in turn to Egmont, uh, US. Now Egmont's a huge, originally a German publishing conglomerate that publishes Thomas the Tank Engine and mm. all those people. And they were setting up a United States uh, sub subdivision, Egmont USA. And they brought it out uh, in two hardback versions, a library version with a slightly different cover and a hardback version with another cover, a very nice cover. But Egmont USA only lasted three or four years yeah. and then it went down. But while it was there, it, it won the International the Ebi Award uh, for the best foreign language. Well, it wasn't the best, it was a list of the best foreign language published books published mm -hmm. in, in America. So that was about the pinnacle. Um, I think there were 10 or 20 books on that list. And then I wrote the second book. Um, but by then, Barbara had been taken over by... Penguin mm -hmm. published it, uh, and then they were into partnership with Penguin Random House. Yes. And then Penguin Random House was taken over by Australia. Right. So Penguin Random is mm. now a, basically Australia with a New Zealand subsidiary. Mm. But that left the Loblolly Boy one in limbo because the rights are with... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I always had, always had fond hopes of a box set, but I can't, I can't do it now. Oh. Um, and the, and the second one did very well, but didn't do as well as the Lovely Boy, and it didn't follow its trajectory because nobody else picked up the rights, and Alan and Norman, for some reason, didn't, weren't offered the rights, so they couldn't pursue it. So, oh. Yes, you really are trapped uh, in, 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 in the shenanigans. Yeah, once you get caught in that sort of the cycle of you know, who owns what, yes. you know, um, it can be quite tricky. Mm. Just so you can truly appreciate how fabulous the Lob Lolly Boy is, I thought I'd share with you the list of awards and shortlists it has been on. I'd also like to share with you a quote from the amazing Margaret Mayhew. This is a rich fantasy, alive with original twists and mysteries which I dare not reveal. Children's literature is about to be enriched with a new classic. The awards. It was the winner of the Junior Fiction Award at the New Zealand Post Children's Book Award in 2010. It was shortlisted for the 2010 Leanza Esther Glenn Medal, also shortlisted for the 2010 Sir Julius Vogel Award. It won the Storylines Notable Book Award in 2010. And in 2011, it was on the US BBY Outstanding International Books List, which is a list of the 40 outstanding international children's books published or distributed in the USA. You can listen to an abridged version of this book on the Radio New Zealand website. Well, really? I haven't, haven't had a huge amount of it. 
<laughs> I sent a letter to Catherine the other day at uh, Penguin Random because the exciting news with with the Mallory books, the ones I'm writing at the moment, the two Mallory books, was that um, uh, Esky, sounds like Eskimo, is, uh, have bought up the, inter uh, the Russian language rights. Brilliant. In that way. <laughs> and I thought, great! And they didn't pay a lot of money for them, no. but, but both uh, the illustrator and I went dibs on, on, the, on the, for the first two books. The second they bought Unseen. Um, and I keep waiting for the Russian language version of the Mallory books to come out. <laughs> I, 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 don't know whether I, I don't know whether I can mention that now, whether no, I should be proud exactly. of it. But, but they haven't appeared. No. Um, so. so have your books, so apart from Lob Lolly Boy in Australia, hmm. Mallory, Mallory Now in Russia, yeah. how have the rest of them gone offshore at I'm all? Not, I don't really know. I just, I'm not privy no to that sort of thing. I know they're, they're available um, yeah. uh, through Penguin random they, they get bookshelves yeah bookshops in england will possibly have them i don't mm. know mm. i don't think my my daughter's ever seen them on the shelves in england um you said yeah mallory mallory is very popular isn't it mm, mm. very popular and it's got a cute cover like the uh, I, I can uh, you know when i picked that up um i can just imagine lots of kids flipping yeah, through the book yeah i went shelves, I, did a, you know? I did a tour with uh, the first one the tooth fairy one and uh around Hawke's Bay and it was very popular that um, there's a re Read Aloud New Zealand, not to be confused with Read New Zealand, yep. which used to be the book council. Yes. Um, but Read Aloud New Zealand is a, an organisation and they nominate a book every term yep. for schools to read aloud and then they bring the author and uh, they wanted me to do Zoom sessions. I said, oh, I'll be happy to come up. Yeah. So they got Read New Zealand to fund the trip, Brilliant. and I stayed in Napier and went all around uh, Hawke's Bay. But the kids were loving it; they were really, really loving it. Yeah. Uh, the, the Mallory and the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. And I think they should love that one too. It's oh. just as fun. That is fun. They're they're all fun. Mm. So mm. as far as you know, you're and you just you're a prolific writer. You have all these books mm. that haven't mm. been published yet. Mm. Mm. Um, oh, I have to get back. To yeah. <laughs> after I left, I came back to New Zealand, I came back to Christchurch and uh, didn't have a job after I left uh, Otago and I went to Shirley Boys High again, second second bite, and at the end of the year I got a job at Lincoln University. Right. Because while I was in Brunei, I'd, I'd done a Rolls-Royce second language qualification, had a yeah. diploma from Cambridge, uh, UCL, UCLES yeah. diploma, and... Uh, it only cost me, I think, 3000 cost about 10000 in New Zealand. And uh, mm. I was talking to a friend who's, who used to run the second language at the Polytech, and um, she said, why on earth are you teaching in a high school when you've got this? I said, oh, well, I not <laughs> Saw a job in, uh, at Lincoln, and one in Dunedin too, and yeah. decided I'd take the Lincoln one because my folks were still alive and, and uh, in Christchurch at the time, and the kids were here, or Tom was, Tom was here, yeah. And um, I walked into it. I had a lovely time. So the last uh, fourteen or fifteen years, I was teaching at Lincoln University, and then I gave that up. And now I've just been more or less involved in literary stuff. Wow! Mm. Goodness me! And so, before we get on to your latest novel, The Frog mm. Prince, mm. Is there, are there any other books in between The Frog Prince and Going Way Back When that you'd like to really sort of talk about that sort well, of were significant to you in any? Why? Well, one, well, you have disappointments along with the lovely things, and one disappointment in a way was the um, 
one of my very best poetry books has had no presence in New Zealand at all. Oh. Uh, because when I was in uh, Brunei, I, my de I shared a desk with a, a guy called um, Vaughan Rapatahana in Kiwi, mm -hmm. who's a writer. Um, and he'd written some poems and entered them in a international poetry competition run out of Hong Kong by um, a company there and they were going to um, and they published the pub he, he, he he was shortlisted on or, or one I think and, and they published his book and Vaughan well, we, we continued to correspond when he got back to New Zealand and he told me about this news and I said it's great and he asked me to write him a preface so I wrote him a preface and he said why don't you why don't you try so I, I did, and um, Julie uh, was shortlisted or poetry prize, and the book was published. And I thought, it's a funny feeling. Right? That wasn't a good move mm. because the book is um, available internationally, and they did a quite a nice job of it. Um, called Shadow Play, mm -hmm. but it's never, never. They had a few in the shops in New Zealand, but because it wasn't being pursued by marketing here. Yeah. It's just lost, but it's one of my favourite books. Never mind. If I ever get a collected poems out, I'll You'll put it in there. Put it in there. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Mm. And any other any other works that are sort of really significant to you? Mm. Uh, I just I just had such fun writing them all. Yeah. Yeah. And this one. So okay, so let's let's move to this one then. The latest, the Frog Prince, mm. an adult. Yes. Book completely different Absolutely. well I say completely different no. but yet the, can I just before we what I find funny having looked at um, you know a good sort of however many books of yours I've read over the last couple of weeks how frequently frogs make oh. an appearance do they? they do <laughs> and so <laughs> so what was funny is it because I read this first and then I went back and did a whole, oh. you know, um, I was like, oh, here we've got another frog, and oh. another frog, and yeah. another frog. And even the slip slap. Oh, yes, that's right, yes. I, um, think, I think that... Uh, makes an appearance somewhere else yeah. as well. Mm. So I've decided that you obviously have a thing about frogs and maybe you didn't realise it. I probably had a thing about and And rats too, there's a lot of rats in my life. Rats farm. and slippery, <coughs> slimy creatures. Mm. Yeah. Um, so tell me, the frog prince, where did that stem from? Because it's quite a break away from your usual. Well, did you just want to give something different I, to go? Uh, Littleton's got a lovely uh, community market that they on, on the Saturday they have a yeah uh, farmers, farmers market. market yeah. But up the road is a is an old house where they um, second hand shop and staffed by volunteers who are members of various groups. Um, Jones and choirs and her choir often goes down and. They can whatever they sell there it goes back to them, and, yeah. and, oh, yeah. and there's, but they've got a large number of books. And I was mm -hmm. in there uh, three, three or four years ago, and saw this beautiful big collection of the original Grimm's Tales, which had been edited by a guy called Jack Swipes. And um, I bought it, and I read the first story, and I thought, this is seriously weird. <laughs> Basically, the story is this: uh, the princess kisses the frog and it comes yes. into a handsome prince and they marry and live happily ever after. But in the original story, um, it doesn't happen like that at all. In fact, the princess comes across as a horrible person because mm. she's in the forest clearing by a well, playing with her golden ball and it 
falls down the well and she's bewailing the fact that she's lost a golden ball yeah. and this frog pops out of the well and says, I can get it for you um, if you give me three wishes. Yeah. She says, sure. So she, he jumps down, picks up, ret returns the ball to her and she says, what are your wishes? And she says, well, I want to, I want to come home with you um, and have breakfast with you. Yes. And I want to uh, go up, the, when you have your nap, I want to go up and, uh -huh. and uh, sit on the bed with you. Yes. It must have been two wishes or something. Anyway, uh, she says, um, don't be so stupid. Yeah. And, and flounces off, runs back to the, mm. to the uh, castle, whereupon the frog, the frog follows the princess back to the palace and bangs on the door and she opens the door and slams the door and tells him to go away. But, the, but her father, the king, hears her and she tells him what happened. She says, this frog returned my ball and, and uh, I said he could sit on my table at breakfast and blah, 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 but I don't want to tell him to go away. And she says, he said, you've made a promise, you must yeah. keep it. So with very ill grace, she allows the frog to sit on the breakfast table and then tells him to go away but the father says no he's got a your promise was on your bed so mm. um, she goes up the stairs and the frog jumps onto the bed and she's so angry with the frog she picks it up and flings it against the wall mm. uh, with a view to presumably killing it mm. whereupon the frog magics back into a a handsome prince. handsome king and mm. in fact the German story is actually called the frog king yeah and uh, he says thank you thank you you've saved my life because a wicked witch transformed me into a frog until a beautiful princess could and she says oh lovely friend lovely king and they get she's they promise to get married and I think in the original story they then spend the night together mm. and the next morning his carriage arrives I don't know how they knew that he must have sent him an email yeah. <laughs> Uh, with his faithful retainer, Ian Heinrich. And this part of the story takes, the story is very short, it's only about three or four pages, mm. but only in the last paragraph, uh, he and the princess get in the, in the carriage with Ian Heinrich to go back to his palace, and uh, there's a great cracking, and he thinks the axle's broken. He says, what's that noise? And Ian Heinrich says, when you, when you were turned into a frog, my heart was liable to break so I had a steel band put across my chest mm. and it's I'm just so pleased to see that the band has burst open and that happened three more times end of story end of story mm. and the, the original story is called the frog king or iron Heinrich mm. and why is iron Heinrich featuring yeah. like that yeah. no, nothing made sense in the story mm. in terms of plot in terms of character in terms of that was a folk story, so yeah, yeah. You know, who, who knows and what sort of changes had taken place in the various manifestations that mm -hmm. the, the Grimm brothers collected. And uh, so I thought <laughs> I could I could use this. I could I could make up a a lovely reason why this story turned out the way it did. And mm. then I invented the two Halle girls and uh, and their interactions with the Grimm brothers. So it was great fun. Mm. And. Uh, because a lot of historical detail is pretty much there, yeah, and I just grafted on the the, the fictional elements, and, mm. and that was interesting. But I thought years ago I'd read a, a lovely um, Haruki Murakami book 
called uh, um, IQ84, which mm -hmm. I, I love that guy. He's, he, he writes adult fantasy, sort of strange, or more magic realism sort of stuff. Mm. Lovely, lovely stuff. And, uh, and he'd written this book as a dual narrative. It followed a male character, female character, mm. male character, female character, mm. right at the very end, mm. it sort of comes together. And I tried that with the children's book with mm. Felix and the Red mm. Bats. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was, that was, I took a bit of a punt that kids would cope with it and they'd, they seemed to like it. Yeah. So I thought, oh, I'd like to return to that method mm. and see if I can do it with adults. So I, mm. so I had the contemporary story and, um, and I, because the Frog Prince was in Europe, I didn't really want them to sort of come together as they had in the, in the Murakami book, but mm. just to sort of um, speak to each other. So there's a sort of a talking together of themes. And, and the link is that one of the characters in the contemporary story has written mm. the, 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 uh, the Grimm Brothers section. Um, I knew the setting of Bond very well mm. um, because our daughter had lived there and we'd spent six months mm -hmm. uh, over there. And I knew, I knew the area around uh, Arras because mm -hmm. um, we'd stayed with uh, people there uh, whom we knew. So that, that made the, the, two yeah. set, the two European settings quite real. Mm -hmm. And I knew a little, I'd been to Wimbledon and that yeah. at the very end. So yeah, and I was, so when I put a proposal to um, the trustees of the Randall Cottage. That was my my uh, project, yeah. and uh, and they liked it, and uh, so it got me the six months in Wellington where I put it together. Wow! And uh, yeah, I just thought I'd tell you a little about the Randall Cottage residency that James received and where he worked on the Frog Prince. Randall Cottage is based in Wellington, New Zealand, and it has been a writer's residency for New Zealand and French writers since 2001. The cottage was gifted to Wellington by Beverly Randall. She's a descendant of the original owners, and it is the first dedicated writer's residency in the capital city, and was the first ever international writer's residency offered in the Southern Hemisphere. Two writer's residencies are offered every year, one is available for a New Zealand writer and the other to a French national. The residency currently offers rent-free accommodation in a two-bedroom central city cottage and a stipend which is currently set at $28,500. You can read an account of James's time at the Randall Cottage written by James on the Randall Cottage webpage at randallcottage.co.nz. And it's beautifully presented. They did a lovely, lovely job. Yes, yes. They did. I mean, the the um, the, pho the photography on mm. of the flowers and things yes. on the front makes it very eye catching. Um, and when I went to pick the book up mm. from the library, the I couldn't find it. It wasn't mm. on the shelf, mm. and I was thinking, oh, I'm going nuts. Mm. And I went up to the information desk, and I said to the woman, I said, I'm looking for the Frog Prince James Norcliffe's latest book. She went and had a look, and then she went, oh, it must be here somewhere. And then another um, uh, librarian overheard our conversation. She said, oh, I know where it is because it looks so fabulous. And she whizzed over and it was on a display. Oh. <laughs> she said, we put it out over here because it just looks so great. Oh, that's <laughs> lo lovely to hear. Yeah. Yes. I, was, I, I was delighted. Harriet was a bit nervous. Harriet Allen, my editor at, at yeah. Penguin Random, she was... She said, uh, do you like this? Because it did pose a bit of a problem because it, they couldn't use a, a sort of a historical 
grim brother type picture. Or they couldn't use a contemporary picture, mm-hmm. but it had to be, be appropriate to both. And I think she, she, it was her idea. She had this wonderful idea of a frog, of a lily pond. Yeah. Um, and the marketing was lovely. They had uh, they had uh, that picture printed, reprinted as wrapping paper without any writing on it. So wow. the first people that bought the book were the with the um, booksellers that went along with the plan had the book wrapped in that paper. Oh, wonderful. Mm. You have been listening to part four of the James Norcliffe tale. You can find out more about James and his work at his webpage, jamesnorcliffe.com. Thank you for listening to the author's tale and don't forget to subscribe or follow for free to ensure you don't miss an episode, including part five of James's tale. The Author's Tale is produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. It is engineered at Plains FM and it is available at acast.com, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform. It is made with assistance from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Community Scheme. <laughs>